0: This show is a part of the Versus the Universe Network. For more information on Versus the Universe, go to VersusTheUniverse.com. That's BSTheUniverse.com. Check, check, check. One, two,
1: three. Check, check. One,
2: two, one, two. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I'm going to throw it to Liz now. Uh. Wow. I was expecting a little bit more, but that's what we will do.
1: We had our fantasy football draft earlier.
2: You sure did. Do you feel good, Liz?
1: I don't know anything about football, but... (laughs) Yahoo's told me I got a B-minus on this one, so that feels all right.
2: Now, when we play fantasy football, do you wish it was like actual fantasy figures playing football?
1: No, I wish it actually made football more interesting to me, which is like why I started. Mm -hmm. I thought if I was personally invested in some of the characters, then maybe it would be like a better story.
2: (laughs) The fact that you call them characters and not players or athletes says a lot.
1: I know that they're players and athletes, and I, I, there's still a value in, like, knowing who people are mm-hmm. and whatnot, but, yeah, I just still, like, I can't, I wish that, I wish that, like, hockey was the game that everybody in the <laughs> U.S. watched.
2: I mean, I understand what you mean, though. I used to watch a ton of sports growing up. I played baseball, I played football, and I, because I was playing those sports, I was really heavily invested in, like, specific teams, mm-hmm. but you know, I look at a lot of the people that I drafted for our fantasy football leagues, and I know a few of them, but once you get past, like, the top five players, it just, they all blend together, Yeah. and yeah, it's hard for me to, like, really get invested in a singular person. Also, a lot of them are, like, not good people.
1: That's part of it, too, like, people kind of make jokes about, like, oh, can you draft a, a team that doesn't have, like, like a serial killer oh yeah (laughs) and like that's not really possible
2: yeah it's it's the sort of thing where like that's something i really take into account whenever i draft people like if somebody is is out or suspended for like domestic abuse or something like i don't even touch him but like i don't know it's just it feels weird
1: what is your what are your we're we're both in two leagues. Yeah,
2: we're we're both in the same two leagues.
1: What are your teams named?
2: My team names are Gin and Tonic and for that league my mascot is Gin Erso from Star Wars. Uh, yeah,
1: it's JYN. And JYN,
2: Tonic. yeah, from mm-hmm. Star Wars Rogue One. And for my other league it's Force and Goal and my team mascot is Rey from The Last Jedi.
1: I like that you specified your team mascot. Well, because um, Rey
2: from Last Jedi is going to be different than Rey from The Force Awakens.
1: Right. I so we just drafted for this one league this afternoon. I ended up with uh Gronkowski and Gostkowski on my team.
2: <laughs> that was a concentrated effort on your part. It
1: was. I drafted a tight end and a kicker a little early so that I could make sure this happened.
2: <laughs> I was curious why you got that kicker so early, but now it's Yeah, makes sense.
1: definitely that's the only reason. About- we should we should
2: clink so we can we should clink. You so got a drink? Do the start. All right, let's do it. Yeah. All right, three, two, fun. Let's go.
1: Welcome to the Cooperative's podcast with the real-life human couple, Liz and Aaron. Hello. Where we will discuss the joys and sorrows of cooperative gaming with the significant other. Today, we are talking... Tacoma. Yeah, but before we talk about Tacoma, yeah. we, we recently started talking about because um, because people keep asking us these questions, like we thought we would briefly discuss what we're actively playing right now. Yeah. In addition, yeah, yeah. um because we don't we do always have a, a ton of time. Well but we do we do not only play cooperative games in our regular yeah. lives. So uh, what are you playing right now?
2: I'm going to be completely honest. I'm playing a lot of sad stuff. I'm playing a yeah, lot that golf game. <laughs> well, like, I, I realized today, uh, destiny two comes out the day after this podcast is, is released. And anyone that knows me knows that destiny is
1: my jam. You're yeah. Jam. It's like You're
2: jam, like legitimately the only game I played for two years. Like I put 27 days into that game. Uh, but I feel like to, to counteract the sci-fi, Star Wars-y, first-person shooter game that is Destiny 2, I've been playing games like Undertale, which is, uh, I think, a very emotionally charged RPG. I've been playing that on the PS4 and the Vita, and I've also been playing a game called Last Day of June on the PS4, which is, uh, which is a narrative adventure game that basically tasks you with reliving... The last day you had with your wife, over and over and over, Uh, and also everybody's golf.
1: I was gonna say a very all those other things are a lie because you've just been playing everybody's golf. No, well, I over and over
2: like everybody's golf is just really easy to to put on and like play nine holes and listen to podcasts. Uh, It's a very Japanese golfing game where like my character uh, does like the Karate Kid crane kick whenever he has to face an opponent whenever he gets a bogey on a hole he like mimics dying uh whenever he gets uh, a birdie he like shakes his butt and like sometimes he does the nixon thing like it's really weird but it's really really do, do fun you,
1: that's just called victory the, the victory the, symbol the
2: nixon like yeah bunny ears victory thing yeah yeah Aww. nixon piece i don't know
1: he doesn't get nixon doesn't get to own that forever
2: <laughs> not forever just for the next 15 years and it goes into uh Uh, Eminent domain? No. Wait, what is it when...
1: I like the idea of eminent domain. (laughs) You're thinking public domain.
2: Public domain. You know, Nixon and eminent domain. Yeah.
1: Then the government is going to take those victory bunny ears away from him forever.
2: This is going to be a a lot of fun to edit. Liz, what are you playing?
1: You don't have to edit that out. Oh, I'm not. But I'm going to have to hear
2: myself say it over and over again. Yeah,
1: that's right. Okay, so what am I playing? I am playing... um, Mass Effect Andromeda,
2: a space game. A space game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you had just finished like the other three Mass Effects, right?
1: I waited a little bit, but yeah, I kind of like I would say I maybe have played all three Mass Effects this year. I think. Oh, totally. And so, um, I was waiting fruitlessly to see if they were gonna like put out any kind of major patches or DLC. They just confirmed like the game is done. Yeah. So after they confirmed that they weren't going to work on it anymore, I was like, well, I might as well, like, while everything's fresh in my head, even though it doesn't matter that much, um, start this out. And it's actually, it's kind of funny. Um, we played, I can never remember the name of this damn game. Which one? The, the one that everyone got mad about that was like, you are a space explorer.
2: Oh, No Man's Sky.
1: Yeah. So both of us like pre ordered No Man's Sky. We were really excited about how pretty liked it looked. It. I liked parts of it. It does get pretty quickly, pretty redundant. Yeah. This is a cop, like with the caveat that I haven't played it in a long time. And apparently they've changed it a whole bunch. And I'm actually really excited to see mm-hmm. what they've done. But like, I already, I know how the original one was supposed to end. Like, I. I was bored enough with it that I was willing to overcome my, like, intense fear of spoilers to learn how it ends, and I'm really glad I did, because I would have put a lot of energy into it. But all of that is to say that when I was playing that, I was like, this is interesting, but it's very redundant, Um, like, it's really a lot of repetitive actions on each world, the the whole, like, machine-created worlds thing kind of works, but it ends up with, like, a lot of very minute variations Mm -hmm. that doesn't... Anyway, this isn't a review of that game, but what I wanted was kind of that but like with a lot more story and like character development and that kind of thing. And which isn't necessarily what they advertise, but that's what I think Mass Effect Andromeda sort of ends up being, mm-hmm. which is really cool. So like there's parts of that that I really like. Like there's there's like a terraforming terraforming aspect to it and like a colonization aspect. Um some of the story beats are definitely a little underbaked, but yeah, it's been fun. Is I that think, all you're playing? I think, well, I'm like actually kind of in the middle of, I started that second, like Assassin's Creed 2 part 2 oh, a little while you, ago. Oh, Assassin's
2: Creed Brotherhood. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, And that is exactly the same as the previous one. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to try something different. Mm-hmm. And then I tried The Witcher 3. Yeah. This is my first Witcher game. And I'm, I'll am I'll go back to that and check it out. And I'm not usually someone who, like, starts games and then leaves them a bunch, but it just wasn't really drawing me in. Yeah, I think and you had the same
2: problem I had where just it seems very generic to me.
1: I don't know if it seems generic. I don't know if I've gotten that far, but the, the story just isn't compelling. Maybe if I had played the previous ones and I, like, cared about this sure. woman that he's looking for at the beginning. But, uh, yeah, so... Mass Effect, I was like, why not? I'll give it a <laughs> shot. And same as the other ones, I just immediately was kind of sucked in for all of the issues that it has.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the one thing that everyone's told me is that Mass Effect and Drama is not a great Mass Effect game, but it's mm-hmm. still a fantastic video game. Which, like, the bar that the Mass Effect series has set for itself is so high that even a even a bad entry in that franchise is still going to be better than a lot of other games out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the not a great Mass Effect game description, especially because I, I don't actually think that like the Mass Effect games are so amazing. Sorry. What? Sorry. Uh, I think they're good, but I don't think it's like a, a whole separate bar that this game can't meet. It's just that the like colonizing thing, mm-hmm. like the game is just very, very different. Mm-hmm. And so I think it doesn't play like a Mass Effect game in a lot of ways because Mass Effect games are more focused on like story and character interaction and there's like a pretty straight through line whereas this there's a lot more there's a lot more just like terraforming.
2: <laughs> and and that that stuff to me is super interesting. Yeah. Uh but I I have I played about 10 hours of it and then when I heard the patches were coming out, I put it I put it aside. Um so I, I'm excited to jump into it in like a year when right. like I've forgotten everything. Um uh,
1: but it has been interesting playing that and then we we jump into Tacoma, which also takes place in space.
2: Well, so before I move on to Tacoma, we're also playing board games. We're playing a lot of Clank, we're playing a lot of number nine. We just played both those games with some of our friends out in Zion uh this weekend.
1: Yeah, we mentioned Clank and number nine, I yeah. think, on our Gen can, can recap podcast. Yeah, we, we played uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill with some friends. Mm-hmm. That'll show up in a podcast near you.
2: Yeah, and uh, and I've I, I've just been kind of trying to learn a bunch of new games. Uh, Spirit Island, uh, Zombicide, which which uh, we're going to be covering in October. I'm I'm relearning that one. Uh, yeah, we're playing a lot. Well, so we're playing those games, but the main topic of this episode is a game called Tacoma which was developed by Fulbright. Now, if you've ever heard us talk about Gone Home, it's the same studio. Uh, You might know some names that are associated with Fulbright, like Steve Gaynor, Nina Freeman. I know I've talked about Sabelle, which is Nina Freeman's game uh, she made about a year ago. Uh, But Tacoma's a completely different beast, and I'm just going to give you the Steam description. This game is available on Xbox, Linux, PC, Mac. I would imagine it's going to come to PS4 at some point. We put it on Xbox, but here's the description that you'll see in all the stores. Tacoma is a sci-fi narrative adventure from the creators of Gone Home. Set aboard a high-tech space station in the year 2088, explore every detail of how the station's crew lived and worked, finding the clues that add up to a gripping story of trust, fear, and resolve in the face of disaster.
1: That sounds very compelling. Does it? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's a little dry, but here's why. It is, and we we talked about Gone Home briefly in another episode at one point. We've
2: talked about it in our in our holiday episodes because we always think that Gone Home is a great game to play with just somebody else because it's got a very intriguing story and it it, it provides a lot of discussion.
1: Right. So, the reason I brought up Gone Home is just, if you remember our discussion about that, it is a narrative game in the sense that all you're really doing is you're walking around you're looking at items Mm -hmm. in a house in that game and kind of from that you're trying to piece together a story Mm -hmm. in that game it's like what happened why is this house empty that you came back home to in this game um because there are a lot of things that you're trying to figure out like that the the description is vague to not give away too much Mm -hmm. so what the the game takes about three or four hours to play, and what we decided is we're only going to talk about things that happen within the first ten minutes, so that there's not any like major spoiler stuff. I'm very sensitive about that usually, so I promise that we aren't going to talk about anything that that will impact your enjoyment of the story. But we'll talk about it enough so you can kind of get a, a feel for what's going on. And if you've played it, you will still not hate like our discussion.
2: You definitely. <laughs> In my mind, you get a lot more out of most games. I would even say all games by not knowing a whole lot going in. Um, I I, I, I began doing something where I don't watch trailers. Like, I'll watch a trailer once to decide if I want to buy into something, but then I won't do it ever again. Right. We had only seen the E3 trailers, which was basically somebody floating in a space station. Then it said Fulbright. We're like, oh, the Gone Home people? Yeah. Good, we're in.
1: Right. So basically as the description suggests, this takes place in space. You, it's first person Mm -hmm. and so similar I think to Gone Home, like you occasionally see your own hands and Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. Um, You are in a little spaceship, you're pulling into this other station and you have an AI and it's clear that you're going onto this ship to collect some information. You dock, you go onto the ship, you're going through, you know, you can see that things seem to be like malfunctioning a little bit you put on this interesting little brain node headset thing Mm -hmm. where you it like gives you an augmented reality view of the ship and connects you with the ship's ai Mm -hmm. um and so what you're doing is you're going through the ship and you see that there's like a little trash collection bot that's Mm -hmm. like kind of aimlessly wandering around um you start to kind of see little glitches and things and it feels like what's going on and and you don't encounter any other people yeah and so you get to the spot where you put in your tablet that is like collecting whatever information you apparently are here to get like it seems to be your job is to work for the company that owns this ship and you come here and you collect this information Mm -hmm. you don't know why it's empty
2: you're always um, referred to as subcontractor. Yeah, subcontractor, so whatever. You're, you're basically like somebody for hire.
1: Yeah, and so you go, while it it says, like, you plug in your little thing, and it says, like, okay, it's going to take some time for this information to upload. So in the meantime, you can kind of explore, and the first room that you come into is, like, a big common area, and it's interesting. So you walk in, and then everything gets a little bit fuzzy, and you get a little message on your augmented reality screen that says... Would you like to reconstruct data? Like, there's a... Yeah, video available. Would you like to reconstruct data? And there's this, like, slightly glitchy video that plays with these... If if you do watch the trailer, you'll see them. They're, like, different colored, kind of sketched-out versions of people, the six people that were on this sh- spaceship. There's a handful of people that live on this ship or whatever that you are now... Like, you don't see them anywhere, but you have this reconstructed video. You get to... It's, a, it's really interesting the way it works because, like, you're at a table and you see, like, four of them standing around this table in this room. And you can, like, watch this video playthrough of them talking to each other. But there are a couple of other people in another room that walk into this room during the video. And if you... You can rewind the video and then go into the other room and see what they're doing. So it's, like, this interactive... Rewatching, like this moment in time has been captured, basically.
2: You're kind of like, you're kind of like a voyeur when you're witnessing all of these little vignettes, these scenes take place in front of you, you're getting snippets of these conversations that are going on, and you, as the viewer, are putting together pieces of this mystery. Now, like I said, we we want to be kind of vague to not give anything away, but uh, you begin peeling away the layers of this mystery, and you identify who these people are and right. their motives. And you really get a good fleshed out sense of how different each person is and how they react in different situations.
1: Yeah. It's similar to Gone Home. Like the, the mystery you're trying to solve immediately is just why is this ship empty? Yeah. Right? Like that may not be what you were sent there to find out, but you as the person walking around, you're like, why is this empty? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes pretty clear that there's like a conflict established in, in the first video. Also during the videos, there will be periods of time where one person is talking and like a little menu will pop up above them and you can try and read some of the documents that were like basically kind of on their personal handset You can that like time. access
2: their email. You can see their, their yeah. chat messages with other people. So what they're saying in conversations... Might contradict or even or build upon what's in their personal email, right. so you can see them you talk can, one way to somebody, but it might be completely different when they're not interacting with that person. Yeah,
1: you can figure out why somebody asked a certain question. Um, you're trying to figure out sort of like what allegiances people have mm-hmm. between each other with the company that they're working for, that kind of thing. It's really interesting, and then as you explore, you can also look at things. Like you can pick up a lot of things that are on the ship. Um, You can go into each of their quarters and you can look in their bathrooms and see what kind of beauty products all of them use. You can
2: see what books they're reading, which is like a thing Fulbright loves to do. A bathroom on the shitter.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. And, And so obviously like it's just a one, you know, you are looking through the eyes of one individual the whole time. The story is very compelling. I think the end is really interesting and cool. So, I do highly recommend that you play it for yourself and find out the end.
2: I feel like we should state before going any further. We're talking about this as a cooperative experience, but this is a single player game,
1: so that's what I was gonna say. Like you're viewing this through one person's lens mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, and we, like we've done with some other games we've talked about, we've passed it back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's actually really nice in the sense that it lends itself to that because, like, I think several times, You'll be like in one section of the ship, and you have two rooms to explore. So like it's really easy to just say, like I'll do this one, mm-hmm. and Aaron, you'll do this one.
2: And the game is set up nicely for that. Whenever you yeah. enter a corridor, there's usually a left or right path. And so we would always choose: I'll take left, you take right, and trade off the controller. Um, these types of games, and I, I know that we've talked about this before, you can play them by by uh, just yourself and still have a pretty nice introspective experience. I think the reason why I love playing these types of games with Groups or just another person is because I feel like they prompt a lot of interesting discussion and we've talked about it with life is strange with gone home but there were a few times during this game where I would immediately see people Interact with the situation and I I thought I can't wait to ask Liz what she would do in the situation or how She thinks she would honestly react Because I definitely saw myself in some of the people on the ship reacting in ways where I was like I would do that. I would do that I definitely want to do that and it was It was interesting. It made me think a lot.
1: So I actually, I read a few reviews of this game where... um, Before? No,
2: after. Oh, okay. Oh, man.
1: Where the reviewer was saying like, when I played this, you know, for the purpose of then writing this review, basically, I, I kind of powered through it. And I think one thing that playing with somebody else is really helpful for is that stopping and discussing. Because when you play something like this, it's clear, like, okay, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, like, watch all of the videos and try and get all of the perspectives and collect as much information as you can. Mm-hmm. But when you're just trying to make connections and stuff, if you just are trying to go through it quickly, as can happen if it's just one person playing, you can tend to lose some of that. Yeah. Um, like I think a lot of times when one of us was playing, the other person would make an observation that the, that the person playing didn't ma- maybe notice. Um, and they do a good job. Fulbright does this with their stuff, where like if you're in somebody's room, like the title of the books in their room matters, and like every they do a they work really hard to make everything consistent mm-hmm. for each character. It so, is
2: it is very interesting because I always felt like. If you were to walk into our apartment and look at our bookshelves or look at what movies we own, it would say a lot about who we are. And in this game, when you walk into somebody's cabin and you open up their foot drawer and you see they have sinus medicine or anti-anxiety medicine, or they're reading a book about AI and how to how to interact with AI, mm-hmm. it says a lot about that character because the next person in a, another bunk could have like power lifting and how to tell what what gender you should identify as. Like, it's, it's, very, it's a very varied experience.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think we're both in agreement that it works well as a sort of, quote-unquote, cooperative game, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not in the traditional sense, but it works well as a game that you can pass and play with two people. Totally. Or more. But I think two people is a good amount because it can move a little slowly at times, and I think if you had more than two people it would it people of would tend wander. to yeah
2: i feel like one of the things that can be really easy to do in this game is override the other person and i felt like when we played we were we, we were constantly checking in and i think that's a very constructive thing to do in any game that you're playing cooperatively but in this game because you set the pace because you set the tone you are in control of the pace of the story you are in control of the flow of the narrative and we could take as long as we wanted investigating one crew member but we if we felt like we had something figured out we could we could brush past it uh there were very few times where I felt like we weren't being thorough enough Uh, (laughs) there were very few times where where I wanted to rush ahead but I think that's just because the game offers such an intriguing mystery that you want to dive in as much as possible
1: yeah that's actually a really good point um and I think that's really important if you're playing any game cooperatively or just like we've talked a few times about taking like a a one player game and stretching it between two people it you really have to have that cooperation in terms of pacing otherwise it's not going to be fun for both people Mm -hmm. and yeah we would do like i've looked all the way through this office like is there anything you think that we should look at nope all right good but yeah it was I think that is really important. It kind of helps you build up your communication, Mm -hmm. checking in skills.
2: One of the things that that Tacoma, I think, does really well, and Life is Strange, Gone Home, all the ones we talked about, um, they have a really good sense of theming. Like All of the games that we talk about that are single-player experiences have a very clear identity, and they take a few things that are sometimes a little esoteric, sometimes a little heady, but they will come at them from a few different sides and one thing that i wasn't expecting was tacoma tacoma takes on some themes like we mentioned ai right uh i feel like sense of duty is a, is another big theme
1: yeah. and there are some political ones too like totally. i think we can you know Try, sort of hinted at like there these crew members are working on a ship that's owned by a company.
2: It's a company called Venturis, and right. the the motto of Venturis is "Wherever you are, Venturis is there with you." And it, it's interesting because, like I said earlier, this is a game where you're essentially a voyeur, and whereas the game will maybe present voyeuristic tendencies in a bad light here, that's what you're doing throughout the entire game. Right. So you're you're really coming at a lot of things from from different angles. Uh, and again, I don't want to get i can't talk about too much of the themes cuz we don't want to spoil stuff but there's some moral conundrums that come in later on where if the game ever presented you with a choice like if a then b or if you choose b then you can't do a anymore i feel like it would it would cause me to want to play through the game again right because there there came a point at the end of the game where i admittedly rushed to do something because i saw a prompt come up and i hit a button and i went through with the action and I really thought, oh no, did I just make a choice? Because if I made a choice and it's mm-hmm. not in the way that I would like, I have to play the entire game over again.
1: Yeah, so this, I'm glad you brought that up. That's interesting because I actually don't think, and this is very different from Life is Strange in the sense that I don't think the choices you make, you don't really make choices in this particular game, right? You just... Do stuff. My question for you is: essentially, you're like, you're more or less on a rail. Like the point of it is not for you to like employ strategery to, like, beat the game. Is strategery a real word? Is not, that just something no, that George Bush there said? There were air quotes in the way that I said that. Okay. I hope. Um, it is a Bushism, I believe. The point of the game is not for you to act strategically in order to beat the game. Mm-hmm. It's for you to kind of experience the narrative that's being built up around you by mm-hmm. collecting all these different pieces of information. So my question for you is what makes a game? Like why is this a game?
2: I mean, I, I think I think the definition of game is uh, too constrictive as far as as far as what a lot of people think. I think games are just another medium and which you can tell a story, it's just more interactive than Than a movie or a book I think in a movie You're being shown a story In a book You're being told a story And in a game You're living a story And this is very much Like uh, Like Walking through The pages of a novel And You are In the game Turning the pages As you go And I I feel like There's a certain degree Of involvement In Tacoma Where If you just wanted to get in Do the job And get out You would be presented With a very different story Than if you Went through and like emphatically wanted to learn about people and right. identify. The stakes
1: would be really different for you. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and I, I, I take umbrage with a lot of people that don't consider these types of experiences games. Uh, cause I just think it's too narrow minded.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting. I'm sure that there have been these really different types of games for ages, mm-hmm. but I have only been learning about them like in the last couple of years. Uh, I when I was looking online because I was like I'm sure that people have studied this like this is kind of a philosophical question but I found this really interesting definition which I would like to share with you uh, and this quote is when you strip away the genre differences and the technological complexities all games share four defining traits a goal rules a feedback system and voluntary participation that's from Jane McGonigal who is a oh a man game Jane
2: McGonigal I. L- no, she she wrote the book on it. Yeah, yeah. she did. Yeah, that's what no, this is from. That's a fantastic book. Oh, um, cool. I, I wish I wish I would have thought of that. Thank you so much for bringing that up.
1: Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Also, this has been a topic of philosophical discussion for a long time. Uh, I learned that German philosopher mm-hmm. by the name of Ludwig Wittgenstein. Yep, sounds like a German philosopher. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess that's not that long ago. He was born in 1889, but he died in 18, 1951. Um, but he was the first person to address the definition of games in Mm -hmm. his writing. He, he wrote a book called Philosophical Investigations, which is like the name of every philosophy book. What a a great title. Yeah. I swear they all do that. Um, but his conclusion was that people apply the term games to a lot of different, human interactions and activities but those people even call like flirting a game exactly like dating a game but those different activities are not always very closely related like sure. you said like flirting or diplomacy is often called a game Um and so his conclusion was kind of that it's open ended I think but I thought that was really interesting like that older view of it and then this newer definition I think that that is pretty good like it's it's I saw a lot of definitions when I was looking and, you know, a lot of them require elements of competition Mm -hmm. or like using tokens or something like that. But McGonagall's was the one that really stuck out to me because I think even this quote unquote game had a goal Mm -hmm. to figure out what was going on, rules, Mm -hmm. like the. You know within the confines of this structure a feedback system and then voluntary participation so i think when you when you break it down to its most elementary levels Mm -hmm. that helps with looking at some of these more like kind of avant-garde game experiences i know i was struck by we went to bitbash um there was a bit bitbash which is an independent game festival, festival here basically in Chicago, in Chicago yeah. a few weeks ago but the first one I went to was i think 3 years it was the first one i'm pretty sure 3 years ago yeah, maybe yeah
2: because i i might have seen you at the booth but we were never introduced yeah we never yeah.
1: we'll never know but but somebody had a game there that was basically a choose your own adventure novel but it oh, looked like it yeah. was it was called like the the story matron 3000 3000 yeah, yeah something like that um it, and it looked kind of like a, what you imagine that would look like, like a little like accounting calculator with like a spool of paper, like Mm -hmm. receipt paper on it. And it would tell you a story and it would be like, you know, you walk up the door, you get to the door. Do you like A, knock, B, open the door and go in and right, And then you would pick on this little thing and then it would print out the next part of the story. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, you would have this like big, long receipt of the story that you had built, which was really cool and even at the time, I was like, that's cool that this is at, like, a game festival. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no strategy there. I wasn't competing, you know, but it was a game, and it was very enjoyable.
2: I, I'd like to piggyback on this conversation because there, there's one conversation in video games that I always think is interesting, and I've, I've gone back and forth. Uh, and you 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 might scowl and grimace when I bring this up. I would like to talk about... Games is art. I went to a creative arts uh, university. I studied musical theater and we we would often talk about what is art. And one of the first things that we were uh, that we were taught in uh, the conservatory is that art needs to have three qualifiers. Uh, one, it needs to have work put into it like you need to have given yourself up to whatever you're creating. Two, it is meant to uh, evoke, an emotional response and three which I always found to be the most interesting pillar the third uh the third rule was it needed to be intended to be art like right. the, I like
1: I think that makes sense and
2: yeah. and I've, I've always found it interesting that uh that Shadow of the Colossus is a is a game that's always brought up in the games as art conversation and and I don't necessarily know that the creator of that game intended for that game to be art But I feel like Fulbright, specifically with Gone Home and and, and Tacoma, this game, I feel like it fulfills all of those pillars. And I feel like whenever I hear the people at Fulbright talk about their games, they are trying to break down the walls in the interactive media spectrum, and Mm -hmm. they are trying to provoke an, an emotional response. They're obviously giving over some of their life experiences and putting them into the game. And I feel like they really are trying to have it be artistic
1: yeah definitely even i mean style it's stylistic the way that it's Mm -hmm. displayed too we were talking about that a little with the art style like you never see anybody's you never see like a full human face Mm
2: -hmm. which is interesting because the only way that you can empathize with these people are by very loose body language Mm -hmm. or the tenor and timbre of their voice so yeah. you, you you hear all the audio files and you hear desperation in their voice, but you never see it on their faces. You might read it in their body language, but you can't see their eyes twitch when a situation right. comes yeah, up. Yeah, like
1: you see a lot of photo photographs, so you mm-hmm. know what they look like. But it's a different type of design, you know.
2: Do you feel like this game is a? Do you feel like this game could further the argument for games as art, or do you think it's it's just like another example that people will be using because not many others fit?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it could, but th- to me, games as art is not controversial. Okay. I think that you're creating something, I mean, maybe part of it is, like, from a legal standpoint. Games are really interesting. I, I, I practice intellectual property law, and uh, games are really interesting because there isn't a specific, clear way to protect the entirety of a game, mm-hmm. which is different from a lot of other um things that people create. So, like, things that have a function are patented, things that make consumers aware of where they come from are trademarked, Mm -hmm. and things that are forms of creative expression are copyrighted. Mm -hmm. But copyright only applies to certain types of creative expression. It has to be, like, set out in a tangible medium, and it has to be more than just a little bit. Like, you couldn't copyright just the title of something. Sure. Um, and so games usually have elements of all of these different types of IP in them. Plus trade secrets, which we're not even talking about. Um, and so for me, I have to look at games from an artistic perspective. If I'm thinking about the way that they can be protected, right? Like, the, the appearance, the physical appearance of a game is something that can be copyrighted and copyrights are more for artistic expression mm-hmm. usually and and so I have this like weird separate way that I always look at these kinds of things and break them down but I think there's there's an art that comes from the entire experience that is created by playing a game like that definition that I even read I just I I feel like most games would fit the the rules that you brought up for art
2: i feel like whenever i talk about games as art with other people they're very quick to bring up what about madden what about call of duty and, and but Ma- like
1: those are artists that work on those games those yeah. are character they're, artists they're trying
2: to mimic the human form and call of duty you are trying to show the the insanity of war and you're trying to evoke an emotional response of how bad it is like e- yeah. even down to Like, respawn time. Like, in Call of Duty, if you're out for 10 seconds and you're watching everything else go on around you, there are times when I used to play that game pretty religiously. There would be times where I would be waiting to respawn, and I'd see my entire team mowed down, and I'd be like, what's the point? Well, who's to say that the developers couldn't want to warrant that emotional response of, like, why are you even doing this?
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting, I mean, you bring up something like Madden, what about artists who are extremely talented at just depicting realistic mm-hmm. s- scenery or realistic figures? Like, we don't say that art is only...
2: Like, what if you had Caravaggio doing the human models for, like, an MLB game?
1: Sure. some, But do you know what I'm saying? Like, the fact that something is a, quote-unquote, realistic depiction, or... Uh, the. There's a look, there's probably a lot of controversy still in the art world about like pop art versus serious art mm-hmm. versus, I mean, like graphic design. I'm sure that graphic designers struggle with that a lot. Like every graphic designer I know is an extremely talented artist. You really have to be to be really good in that field. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure they get a lot of pushback from people who don't think that the products that they create are art. Yeah. So art the people defining art then that depends on who you're talking to I guess but I to me it's very easy to see why a game especially video games because there's so much art that goes into the appearance of a video game but Mm -hmm. even behind the scenes like code which by the way is also protected by copyright usually had there's an art to it like the way that there, there can be like a beauty to the way that a game functions below the surface too. You, if you have an elegant code, it can be much shorter to accomplish the same thing. Like and an that, efficiency. Yeah. Efficiency is very important in, in writing. Some people are better at it than <laughs> others, but that, that is like another part of the, it's, it has a function at the end, but I think it still is kind of an artistic endeavor.
2: Well, so let's uh, wrap up the discussion, but not before hearing about one of the other shows on the Versus the Universe Network, and then we'll be right back to talk about if this is a good game for a first date. Uh oh. And then we'll wrap up. So All right. We'll see you soon. All right, bye. Bye. But not bye. But like we'll, we'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you. Just, yeah. Just it's it's only around. bye for like
0: thirty seconds. Okay. All right. See you soon. Bye. Hi, friends. My name is Sean Lenhart, and I have spent my entire adult life looking for some friends to go on a quest with. In every group of friends I've encountered, at least one of them has a regular tabletop RPG that they play with their other friends. Out of all these friend circles, some interconnected, some completely isolated, I have been unable to join in on the adventure for one reason or another. So, I'm embarking on my own tabletop adventure, I'm playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons all by myself. With my wife acting as DM. Neither of us have any idea of what we're doing, so join us for the fun and silliness. We'll be bringing in special guests on commentary episodes who will offer their opinions of the quest and teach us how better to play D&D. Check us out on iTunes at Dungeon or Dragon. On Twitter at D and or D podcast and on Facebook.com slash Dungeon and Or Dragon. Liz,
2: it seems like this would be a rather unorthodox game to play on a first date, but <laughs> but I beg the question, is this a good game to play on a first date?
1: I think it wouldn't be a good game to play on a first date because as much as we would occasionally discuss the stuff that we found there was also quite a bit of time where we were both like looking intently at the screen i don't think that first dates are for like long periods of prolonged silence not (laughs) looking at each other uh also i mean like we've discussed with some other games there's a lot that you're assuming if you go into a first date Mm -hmm. with this is the person comfortable with video games. Oh, I didn't mention this earlier, but like the f- we played this over two nights. Yeah. And the first part of the game, it might have just been that day or like I was Talking tired about the or whatever. Headaches. Both of us, right? Yeah, we, or was it just We both got me? some like low I, level headaches. I I never get motion sickness. Like I can read in the car. I ride roller coasters. I never have a problem with that. And I started getting a headache when we were playing and there is a lot of close-up kind of screen movement from this first person's perspective it was a little disconcerting after a while it could have just been that night but be aware like if that's something that really bugs you just to like tread carefully Mm -hmm. you can choose to move more slowly like i think we just were not doing a great job um there are also a couple of zero gravity parts which like exacerbates that problem i think Uh, Uh, so that's another thing you have to worry about on first date. Like what if the person is like, Oh no, I get incredibly motion sick.
2: Or what if they're actually an astronaut and they're like, that's not how it works. Yeah. Probably. Um, If you're dating an astronaut, like good for you. Yeah. but Uh, tell us what that's like. I would definitely like to know. I, I think, I think as far as first date games go, you could do a lot worse, but you could do a lot better. I think the length of the game kind of, uh, kind of leads it to be, a contender for a first date game because you can probably get this game over with in as little as, like, three hours. Uh, we took about four hours getting through it, but if you really wanted to rush through it, uh, you could get it done in three, but that's kind of sullying the experience. I I, I would I, I would do this as, like, a fourth or fifth date game, maybe when you want to get a little bit more intellectual because it's, it's interesting to prompt discussions based on what happens in the game, but that's probably not the best activity for the first date, but... Yeah, if, if you've known the person for a while and you know it's going to be their bag, go for it. But there's definitely better games that you could play for a first date.
1: If you're looking for a better video game to play on a first date, maybe not Overcooked, because apparently a lot of people don't like to play that with yeah, other people. Yeah, we keep
2: telling people to play Overcooked, which we really like, but apparently it's not great for others.
1: Yeah. Maybe don't play a video game with someone on a first date unless you already know them super well. Look at each other. Hold hands. Yeah. Just sit and look and hold hands. That's Stare a good intensely first date. into their eyes. That's a good first date. Yeah. That's a, that was our first Just date. Just do that for four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Just like uh, maybe also some yoga.
2: Yeah. And then the sun comes up and you're like, what? I've been here for 12 hours?
1: Yeah. And you mind melded.
2: Yeah. So we're the same person. Um, Liz, thanks for playing this game with me.
1: Thank you for playing this game with me. Thank of- you for... for being so enthusiastic about this, like I would have kind of put it off for a little bit, but it was great.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I will buy anything that any one of the designers from Fulbright makes. Um, they're just, I really love the experiences Mm -hmm. that they craft. Uh, but Anyway, thank you for listening to the Cooperatives Podcast. This podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment, so please come back often and feel free to add the Cooperatives Podcast to your favorite podcatcher or an iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that jazz. And just remember, reviews are always very welcome, and they help the show succeed. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Pod. And if there's a particular game you think we should play and discuss, don't hesitate, let us know, send us an email. We got an email address set up at cooperativespod at gmail.com or just hit up us or just hit us up on social media. We uh, we always have people telling us games that we should play, and trust me, we write down every single one. Whatever you think that we should play, we will definitely take it into consideration and it's led to some good experiences, so we're all about that. All links to stuff we talked about are going to be in the show notes. If you'd like to directly help support the show, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash versus the universe. We are a part of the versus the universe podcast network. They've got about five shows on the network now. Uh, Besides this one, they've got a new one called Dungeon and or Dragon, uh, which is about a husband and wife playing D&D for the first time. There's a new show called Memory Card, which is all about... Uh, waxing nostalgic about your favorite video game memories. And there's a few more on there. So go to versustheuniverse.com or patreon.com slash versustheuniverse and you can find out more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that's going to do it for this week. We'll we'll be back in two weeks. We're probably going to be playing playing some fun stuff we've got some we've got a lot of horror games yeah we're gonna embrace
1: the halloween theme don't worry
2: hell yeah there's a lot of spooky games coming out but before that maybe one you're not anticipating so we'll see (laughs) we'll see it's a mystery The, the whole the whole theme of the show is vague uh but liz thank you so much we'll see you in two weeks
1: see you then all right bye bye